0: the Game Raven review podcast. This is Puppet Master N, and this week our podcast is a little different. Um, As you know, our team was able to attend PAX West last week, and this year PAX was pretty different than normal. The halls were less filled, lines were shorter, masks were required, and sanitizer was everywhere. And the event was also missing some of the bigger titles we're all used to experiencing at PAX. And for some of us, this was a big disappointment. But for those of us in the indie community, honestly, it was exactly what we needed. In this episode, we're going to hear from some of the amazing indie devs our team got to meet at this scaled down version of PAX. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. back to the Game Raven Review podcast. We're going to start off this segment with an interview with Arin's Gift. Our podcast host Sam had the pleasure of interviewing Joe and Kristen Sheriff of Inktail Studios about their upcoming action adventure role-playing game.
1: All right. So, first question. Tell us your name and the name of your game.
2: Okay, I'm Kristen Sheriff, and the name of our game is Aaron's uh, Gift. It's done by myself and my husband.
3: And I'm Joseph Sheriff. I'm the lead developer and programmer on Aaron's Gift from Inktail Studios.
1: And if you could, give us a little summary about the game.
3: So Aaron's Gift is the first game from Inktail Studios. We've been working on it for several years. It's a completely original, hand-painted, hand-placed 2D action-adventure game. It has a very storybook feel. All of the characters and all of the environment have been hand-drawn by Kristen. She's the the artist and the musician.
4: Really? Yeah, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah that's awesome. Yeah, Aww. I love it. No, I appreciate it. The music is also completely original. She's been developing the soundtrack, and yeah, that's the kind of the idea of the game. Yeah. The story is a dark fantasy, sort of, and it's set in a village that has been cursed, and as R and a 12-year-old boy, you figure out how to use some magical abilities to uplift the curse.
2: And it's a isometric viewpoint and semi-open world, so. Okay.
5: Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, what would you say is your main inspiration for the game? I know you said storybook
2: like a zelda-esque that's probably our biggest inspiration for the game play it's a very linear story um and i would say a lot of like tim burton qualities mixed with ghibli qualities um i love fable like as far as games go yeah, i love the i a Pope lot of lore. people
3: asking us if we're fans of the fable series yeah, and, and we yes. always have been
2: <laughs> and it just
3: kind of comes out naturally yeah. whenever we're building this world and working on the concepts of the
6: game
1: how long have you guys been working on the game
2: it's been in production for about a little over four years but we've uh, been full time on it for about a year now yeah that's yeah. fair
3: to say we it's, have two kids and
2: one just started school so we're like oh yay we that's get right to there's work. some time <laughs> off there <laughs> we get for to sure. work and get off school yes. building
3: the process of Developing this game and how we were going to put her art on screen and make it move and Finalize the type of game we're gonna do that that took three years itself And then actually building Arn's gift What it is today and what it's going to be when we release that has taken an extra year and a half at least
1: If you all could go back to the beginning and give younger selves more like more advice or advice on starting this process over Is there anything you guys would change? Yeah,
3: that's a great question. That's a great question. Because there's so much that we've learned over
2: the years. So yes, you know, we would definitely, because I've learned how to do everything the way we want to do it now. And so I definitely would, but I wouldn't have been able to know those things if I didn't go through that process. So it's kind of one of those things where our next game, (laughs) we'll know how to do this better. (laughs) Yeah. It'll be a little faster.
3: I think I would tell my younger self, keep working and stop comparing your work to everybody else's, just build what you love, because there's so many times where I get completely deflated when I see these projects, amazing projects, like here at PAX, that, they're, that people have been working on, just a small team, and they put so much passion and energy, and it's, it's daunting to think, oh, my work is never going to be that good. But if you build something that you really love and you just keep working at it every single day, you'll be amazed at what you can achieve. Especially with all the information we have on Google and the good old internet and all the extra time a lot of people have at home these
1: days. Yeah. <laughs> what would you guys say would be your favorite part of the development so far?
3: Of the development cycle? Of the game. Yeah.
2: Definitely seeing it put together and then finally, like, working. It's just Goodness. incredible to see all the puzzle pieces. Because, you you know, you see it for so long in pieces.
3: Yeah. And you, you build it, it in pieces for so long. For forever. Like and then, a broken yeah. puzzle Yes, that's been staring at you for way too yeah, long. Yeah, and you're
2: like, is this even going to work when I put it together? We don't know. And yeah. then you finally put it together, and it's like, oh, look at that. It works. For and me, the
3: icing on the cake is when her music gets married with the art yeah,
2: he loves the and, music the and the sound effects, effects. His thing. Mine is like the animation finally part. working and the characters are like moving because I see the still picture forever you know that's all I do is the, I see the painting and the land but I never see it move until he takes it and moves it and I'm like oh, I can run and like go behind that building yay you know so that's my favorite part
1: <laughs> Is there anything you like all listeners and readers to know about the game?
2: off a book we were writing actually Um, we decided to kind of take that and turn it into a game so it's like it's our first project we've ever tried we've never made a game before so it's the first time we ever actually attempted to and that's why we just were like oh this is really cool and he he was already a um, he had his master's in computer programming i was already an established physical artist but we had this huge passion for games and uh, so we just were like let's try to make a game out of this (laughs) so that's kind of where it was inspired from
3: Um, I would say if you like these types of games these storybook cozy feels and you know that there's a small team making it I would say just reach out and support them every once in a while and let them know that you're ready for it when it's released that helps a lot and just keep an eye on RN's gift, because we have a lot more art and levels to show. And what we've shown here at PAX is... It's representative of the, of the final game, for sure. You will see the village, and you will see a lot of the characters you've, you've seen today. But there's probably about five times more that we haven't shown.
2: It has a good contrast um, of present day, past day. Because in the present day, as you saw when you first started the game, it's very like snowy and desolate and cold, and there's that's where you're gonna encounter a lot of your your bad guys, your bosses, and then it contrasts with the past, which is you know precursed area, really beautiful environment, a lot happier, and so yeah, the the goal is to like. Uplift the present day into the, uplift that curse so that it, you know, it can get back to that beautiful environment. Yeah. So, there's a lot of good contrast there. It's a dark world versus the light, cozy world.
1: Yeah. Well, Is there a social media that they can follow the game at?
3: Yes. Yeah, so we're on Discord, the Arn's Gift Discord, and on Twitter. We'll I'm going to put Discord them. on the front of our website, Inktailstudios.com. And we, we will be on Steam Wishlist.
2: We're on Instagram. In a couple weeks. As Instagram me. is
3: maybe the best place because yeah. Kristen has been an artist for years, probably eight years now. Yeah. And she's arts. good at posting her art and my animation on Instagram. Okay. So, yeah, we'll be posting a lot more there.
2: I've also made a Facebook account, like a page for Instagram that I'm going to launch after this. So, we'll, we'll also have a, a Facebook. So, you'll, you'll be able to find us on most of the
0: the platform, the social media platforms. Next up, we're going to join our writer and streamer, bro Tuzak, who had the pleasure of interviewing Preston Wyler, the developer of Blacksmith Bay.
7: What
8: is the game you're working on and
7: what do you do? So we're making a slice of life cozy crafting RPG. Imagine you took Stardew Valley, but then made it about managing a shop and being a blacksmith for the cute little town of Port Pleasant. That's the basic idea of what we're working on right now.
8: Cool. And then I guess you could just give us a small summary, maybe a, a different synopsis of, you know, I kind of kind of asked already or answered already, but...
7: Yeah, so it's, it's basically we're trying to accomplish all of those things that made it really, really fun to play Stardew Valley and really, really fun to play, like, Graveyard Keeper, where you're able to, like, go out and go fishing, or you've got somebody on your team that really wants to, like, do enchanting, or be the one that goes and raids the dungeon. So trying to deliver a lot of the identity that those games allow people to have... But also putting in kind of the new wrapper of like, oh, you're a blacksmith in a blacksmith game, um, powered by like Unreal Engine with ridiculous graphics, full 3D, and up to four-player co-op. So it's kind of like the new generation, I hope, of like this cozy, fun game that everybody can be at home with and everybody can kind of fall in love with. I mean, I'd be really into something like that. That sounds really cool. I gotta, I
8: gotta get in line and and play yeah, it. But the yeah, line's yeah. been, dude, the line's been capped like all day. It's crazy. We actually I
7: was capped. <laughs> our line three minutes after open today. That's yeah. obnoxious. <laughs> according to the enforcers, the only two people, the only two booths in the convention that have been capped for literally the entire thing so far is us and Bandai. That's
8: crazy. It's pretty wild. I, yeah, it's pretty I can't. Insane. So I know you talked about Stardew Valley, and that kind of answers my next question about what's going to be the most like thing that inspired you. Was there maybe any other games that inspired you at all uh, in the yeah. developmental process?
7: I mean, my time at pretty I had a really, really beautiful art style. It was able to deliver on that, like, colorful, lovely, spectacular world. World of Warcraft also has, like, a similar feel of that, like, painterly aesthetic. And it feels like moving this style of game, this genre of game, from 2D with Stardew Valley to 3D, where we can deliver more of a wild experience with crazy cities with amazing verticality, it can expand that entire cozy aesthetic to a place that it hadn't necessarily seen before or had seen, but seen to a a lesser extent with, like, my time at Portier projects like that. So there's, like, loads of stuff that's really, really exciting. One of the weirder things that was, like, really interesting to us was a game called Heroes of Hammerwatch. It's like, a huge 2D game, Dungeon Crawler, and it delivered this spectacular dungeon-crawling experience. Like, end-to-end, it was the most interesting I've seen a dungeon done, and it was a roguelike, so it was replayable. So we're actually looking to take a lot of the design hints for our dungeons based on that game, too, because it's, like, they just nailed the head of exactly the type of experience that we are trying to accomplish with our game. But yeah, it's 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 exciting to look at all of the different ones inside the cozy genre, and then outside of like the cozy game genre, and kind of steal the fun things that we can find from everybody. I think hopefully that's one of the things that's going to make Blacksmith Bay um, kind of a fun addition to everything. I mean, I mean, you're already going to
8: get a lot of people with the Stardew Valley kind of like niche in there, but like okay. all those other games, that's what's going to bring me in. So I remember playing Heroes of Hammerwatch like the first time. Buddy got it for me like f- like 5 a.m. because he's in Australia. And so he's like, dude, let's play this game. And he's like, I got an extra copy. And it was such a great experience. So I'm excited to see what you guys have it's what, in right? store. It's, yeah, it,
7: like it surprised us. It like we we walked into it and we all played it. We we all get together, the whole dev team to play games like once a week. <laughs> And that was just one of the ones that we just had lined up, and we didn't expect anything from it. And then what we got was this thing that had the multi-axis progression that we wanted to deliver people. And the dungeons that were just so engaging. Every single time we hit a new boss, every single time we hit a new, like, puzzle system that they had thought of, they were always so enlightened. So it was it was jaw-droppingly beautiful, the way that they had executed everything. We hope that we can do something that's, like, tangentially even even like a part of maybe as good as that is. But
8: we'll see. Awesome. Cool. So my favorite question to ask in these interviews is if, if you could go back and redo the game, would you do it?
7: And if so, what would you change? We did go back and redo the game. Yeah, this is the second pass of this project. Um, this game started as a game jam. It started as a game called Smeltdown and it was a frenetic party game where you threw pizza across the room and, you know, it was like one of those type overcooked type style games um, where it was about, like, making weapons as people came in and ordered them. It was a fun game. It was a fun experience. But in the heart of it, like, 562 Interactive is really about making, like, really, really accessible, cozy, fun games. And this didn't... that experience didn't lend itself very well to that. I felt like we could do so much more making it something that, like, the user got to be a little bit more involved with, like, oh, they can decorate their shop and they can go on these adventures and we can tell longer stories and we can do more of the multi-axis progression we wanted to do. So that's, we ended up going back and rebuilding um, a lot of the game. Maybe not rebuilding, but, like, building in a different direction than we had initially intended to. Um, We also, like, changed from single player to multiplayer. So, like, that was a pretty huge transition um, for our dev team to be able to move and, like, Expanded into something that like, now you don't just have to play by yourself, but you can invite your friends in to play with you. And we changed perspective. We were top-down for a while, like more of a Diablo-type camera. But then we started getting all of our level design done, and we realized over and over and over again that when we were a a top-down game, we were limiting ourselves in a lot of the same ways that Stardew Valley was limited in their level design. We couldn't do these insane, huge, verticality-driven levels. We couldn't do some of these, like, really interesting experiences that we wanted to deliver to players that we were going to be able to because we were 3D, but otherwise, like, we're limited by being top-down still. Um, so we went third-person over the shoulder and redesigned our whole town. And that's where you get the dwarven artifact town that we're in now, and it's just, like, such a, such a better, more spectacular experience than what we had before. So we're going to keep on, like, every time we see an opportunity to be like, ah, oh, maybe this isn't working exactly the way that it wants to. We're totally cool to throw stuff away and start over with stuff. Um, and we're kind of in it for the long haul with however long that takes for this project to get out the door. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one.
8: That's why I love that question. You had so much to talk about that. Yeah. It's perfect. And I guess, you know, last final two here. What's been your favorite part in the developmental process?
7: So we had a we had an interesting development process with this one. Typically when you're building a game, you do pre-production and then you do, like, you basically figure out what the game is going to be and then you do production. But at 5.62 we have a somewhat different philosophy. So we did, on this new newest iteration of the game, we did a pre-production phase where we were building it out. Everybody got to be really, really creative with the initial ideas for everything that we wanted to do. We got to do production for about three months, four months, and then we went back into another pre-production phase where we trimmed down the experience, we figured out exactly what we wanted everything to look like, but we were able to do that under the guise of understanding what the game had already been for those first three months. We got to do that with understanding how people played it in those first three months. So that was like the most exciting part of our development process because we were able to look at like the quests that people really, really engaged with, the experiences that people really, really engaged with, and the things that really, really didn't work. Uh, But we got to be creative about a project after we'd already been working on a project. Which is something that you don't always get to do. And that's something that's somewhat unique to indie games. But um, we like make a special point of making sure that we're doing that at like set intervals. Where we are literally, I mean we took like a month and we didn't produce anything for the game. Like we did no production on the game for a month. And we just looked at redefining what the game was going to be in it's end state. But yeah, it's it was very, very valuable for us to do and it was so fun to be able to be part of it. Awesome. Yeah. That's a,
8: I mean that sounds like a blast, honestly, but a lot of work. It's a, good time. a lot of work but yeah. a but a blast. And very I guess long yeah. Very, very
7: long Google Docs. Yeah. <laughs> like eight hundred page Google Docs sometimes. Like all of the puzzles that we wanna do and how they're all gonna interact to one another and we've got like this master map of how all of the dungeon spaces all link together. So you get to kind of get to go on these journeys where you get to be super, super creative, but you don't necessarily have to build it yet, but you understand how hard it's going to be to build it because you built part of it. So it's like, it, it is a perfect timing. It is a perfect timing to get to check in and do that kind of thing. Awesome. I guess finally,
8: uh, is there anything you want to shout out? Is there anything else that you want to tell us about the game?
7: Yeah. So on site, unfortunately we haven't really been able to get everybody that's come by. We've kind of Disappointed most of the people by not being able to have them stand in line and play the game. Um, Definitely the response has been a little bit larger than we anticipated, by several fold, if I'm honest with you. So we're going to end up doing a a beta for everybody on the Discord, coming in about two months or so. So all the people that missed out here, that weren't able to play it on site because we just didn't have enough time to get people through the booth, um, or folks that weren't able to travel or didn't feel comfortable coming out to a PAX, we want to make sure that we have that check-in with those people as well. So if you join the Discord, discord.gg BSB or one of the cute little verified ones. So literally, if you just join BSB, you just join straight in. We're going to have a little bot that's going to hand out Steam beta keys for everybody that's in there to come get to play. Um, so they'll get the chance to play it as well.
0: All right. So we're going to return back to Sam, who interviewed Kyle T. Johnson of Thunderful Games and who is publishing Curse to Golf.
1: Give us a small summary of Curse to Golf.
6: So, Curse to Golf is a golf-like, as we've lovingly dubbed it, uh, developed by Chuhai Labs from Kyoto, Japan. It is a roguelike platforming golf game in 2D, and essentially you are navigating, as the protagonist, golf purgatory.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, is, that is different. Yeah, most certainly. Okay. Um, What would you say inspired you in the game?
6: So the primary brain behind the game is Liam Edwards with Chu High Labs. And um, they've just been fantastic partners. And as he tells it, uh, when he was a kid, he used to play golf when he was designing his games uh, and playing around with physics and making dungeons, he started off just kind of using a ball to get around which brought him eventually back to to golf and then it just kind of developed from there and I mean it's such a very unique idea, I think the name itself inspires a lot of intrigue but uh, yeah as far as his um passion behind it he's brought nothing but great
1: energy calling it curse the golf is (laughs) that that will get a lot of people's eyes of like what is this game even (laughs) Uh, let's see with the development of the game again a lot of ups and downs might happen if you could go back and change anything what would you change if anything um
6: quite honestly because the game is still under development Uh, we're expecting it early 2022 uh, it'll be releasing on the PC and Switch. And from a publishing standpoint, I, I, I would honestly say that U High Labs has been terrific. I mean, I haven't seen any missteps or any kind of miscommunications in the game. It's been, and from its reception here at PAX West, I, I've got nothing but praise for the team. I think they've done phenomenally.
1: What's been your favorite part of the development so far?
6: goodness definitely getting to play it um (laughs) yeah i i from the first time where i sat down and just kind of gave it a go and saw what we were working with because uh liam actually had a previous build uh the say let's call it the pre-alpha on itch okay Okay. Um, so a bit of a passion project early on and playing that just immediately i remember thinking like Something about this is so strange, but it, it, to quote Todd Howard, it just works. Yeah, yeah man. It's, it's oddly rewarding whenever you hear people walk by the booth and just whisper under their breath, like, curse to golf. Because,
1: <laughs> <laughs> again, it brings intrigue. It's like, it's like a ball fight. Right. Just the, the concept alone is like, huh? <laughs> Is there anything else you would like to know, like us, to know about your game?
6: Um. Yeah. Again, it's uh, releasing early 2022, uh, pushing January. But I mean, obviously, it'll it'll be ready when it's ready um, for PC and Switch. Shout out again to Chu High Labs, and a special thank you to Kinsey here, who uh, Kinsey Burke, who is the producer of the game, and actually here as well, representing us at the booth. Um, who is a bit displaced from the Kyoto team at the moment. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they the whole squad, they've been phenomenal to work with. And I mean, it's, it's a dream as a publisher to be a part of a project like that.
0: We're going to join Sarah, who is our community director. She had the opportunity to interview the solar developer of Drinking with Frenemies, Eric Cancel.
9: So I have created the game Drinks with Frenemies. We have six editions currently, We have three coming out in the next year or so. And there are also two other games coming out called Ding Dong and Polar. Can you
10: give us a small summary of your game?
9: Absolutely, so it is the sabotaging party game. So basically what you're doing is looking at your cards and picking which friend you want to mess with for that turn.
10: What would you say inspired your game the most?
9: Um, it's basically getting people to socialize, get them out of their shells and having a good time. You know, being able to laugh at yourself and others. It's, it's it's a great thing, I think, for society that we need to come together with.
10: If you could go back and begin again from scratch, would you change anything? And if so, what
9: would you change? Oh, that's, that's a good one. Um, I would... Whew. That's a deep, deep question to 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 ask. ask (laughs) No, no. uh, What would I change? Hmm. I mean, I guess. So I'm doing a a third print run on my earlier decks just because I've changed wording. That's. I mean, I guess that's the biggest thing. It's just my wording on it.
10: (laughs) What has been your favorite part of your development process?
9: Oh, seeing the laughters and smiles in people. Like, my biggest joy is seeing people read my cards and, like, getting the biggest chuckle. Like, that, that's my pure enjoyment right there.
10: How did you come up with, like, the questions?
9: So, it is super random. I can hear someone say a word or a phrase. So, for instance, I have one that's balls to the wall. It, I was literally at a yellow light and could have made it, but I stopped and I said to myself, Oh, I should have went balls to the wall. And then I got to thinking about the game. and I'm like, wait, what if people actually run to a wall and place their crotch up against it? So just the most random things and it it occurs.
10: I love that. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else you want us to know about your game, your company?
9: Uh, So I am a family owned business and we are independent. And you can find us on our website, drinksforfrenemies.com. We are sometimes on Amazon as we sell out often. So we try to keep up with stock, but we have conventions that we do across the country and we are actually going across the seas to do some conventions as well. So just look out for our newer games. And if you haven't seen our current games, please check those out.
0: We're gonna take a little break, but we will be right back with more interviews from PAX 2021 right after this. back to the Game Raven Review Podcast. This year, PAX West was pretty scaled down, but our team got to meet some wonderful indie developers. On this podcast, we're making our way through our interviews with these incredible indies that we got to feature this year at PAX West. We're going to start this segment off with Bro 2 Zach as he interviews Peter Milko, one of the developers of Dwerve.
8: So what game are you working on and uh, what part do you play in... The, the I guess the inner workings of the game.
11: Yeah, I'm one of the um, developers working on Dwerve. It's a tower defense dungeon crawler RPG. Dwerve is spelled D-W-E-R-V-E.
8: Dwerve is a dwarf. So Dwerve the Dwarf is a clever way for you to remember it. Awesome. I guess, can you just give us a small summary of your game? So a quick summary of the game verbally. It's hard to describe this verbally because you
11: got to see this game. But basically... It's an RPG that has a story, characters, a world that you traverse through. But the combat is tower defense. So it's a genre mashup that introduces a new game mechanic. It's what indies are known for, and I hope it works in our favor this time. It takes about 30 minutes, I think, for it to click in people's heads, which is why we have quite a long demo. And you can play this demo on
8: Steam right now. It's called the Dwerve Prologue. Awesome. So I guess to jump into it, what would, what inspired you most to like creating this game? So the game is
11: 2D top-down pixel art, right? And that's inspired by Zelda um, and, uh, and the art is 16 by 16, which is tiny pixel art, but we've gotten an excellent pixel artist. That has managed to put an insane amount of detail in each of these um, in each of these little tiles so in regards to the RPG aspect I would say it's inspired by Zelda and then the dungeon aspect of it of course we got to touch on that it's inspired by dungeon defenders and personally my favorite tower defense game is Kingdom Rush and if any of you have played Kingdom Rush they they have heroes in that game and the heroes have abilities and you can move them around the battlefield and for me that was the funnest part about Kingdom Rush I wanted to have a hero so with with Dwarve You are the hero that builds all the towers. And the enemies, they want to kill you. So whenever you get into a combat sequence, they pathfind to get to you. So you have to look at the location that you're at and notice how the environment is gonna work uh, to your advantage or against your advantage. And you have to uh, to quickly think on your toes. Instead of there being a building phase, all the action happens um, uh, real time. And because of that, it makes tower defense a lot more exciting, and it makes tower defense um, a lot more tense.
8: So it's almost kind of like when you start up, it's you gotta have like the levels get harder, and then you kind of like gotta figure out what you gotta build first to defeat that level or dungeon.
11: It's no, it's really it's really on your toes, creative tower defense. So for example a bunch of enemies will start coming at you from different corners and you try to find a choke point and in that choke point you would put like a melee weapon right and you can use the environment to your advantage for example we have a turret that is a giant punching uh, a punch glove right a, a boxing glove it's a giant boxing glove and it punches enemies back but there are pits in the environment so if you put the punch tower in the correct location you'll punch enemies into a pit so we reward you for being clever but you can place towers anywhere. So you have to come up with a completely unique strategic um, idea for surviving that battle. And if it doesn't work, it's okay because we have checkpoints at every battle and you can change out your loadout. By loadout, I mean the towers that you use. There are over there are about 15 different towers, each has a skill tree. So you will be able to create your own playstyle. And if you think about the tower defense as combat, then these towers that you choose to fight with, it's almost like choosing your abilities. So everybody that plays this game is going to have a different set of favorite towers. They're going to have their own playstyle that they created that they experimented with, and it will be fun to see how people play this game because people will play it differently. I love those kind of
8: games because you can just pick kind of like niche
11: ways to play or oh, yeah. just like super meta ways to you play. You do some things just for fun because they make you laugh, right? Yeah. So for example, you will discover combos in the game and since we were talking about the punch tower, I might as well tell you about a combo. We have we have spikes that come up from the ground, right? So if you put a punch tower right after some spikes, you can force the enemy to keep walking over them over and over again since they'll get punched back. So there are combos in the game that you will discover and you'll want to share with your friends, which will make you do a lot more damage than if you just use the towers without thinking of clever combinations. But we will also try to teach a few of those in the very beginning of the game.
8: So this is, is this a multiplayer game?
11: We plan on release for the game to have about a 10-hour single-player campaign and it'll take you longer to beat if you explore the environment. Every level is gonna have a hidden key and a chest that requires you to solve a lever puzzle for people who enjoy exploring and solving puzzles. In regards to other game modes and multiplayer, we will have a boss rush mode where you just fight bosses. I didn't mention that, but in the trailer you can see that there's a boss. There are boss battles, tower defense <laughs> boss battles in this game. It's, re- it's really interesting to use tower defense as the combat system. But we, we plan to also have a uh, wave survival mode. or It's kind of like a zombie survival mode where there'll be waves coming at you and you'll be able to upgrade your turds between the waves. And for that, we can make several levels. Something I want to mention about that, though, is that if you um, get the game on Steam, anything that is um, a local co-op on Steam actually becomes online co-op because Steam allows you to stream a game to your friend and their inputs get put into your game. So even if we do co-op multiplayer on Steam, that means it's going to be online multiplayer.
8: That sounds like you got a, like a lot of content packed into this game, but let's go on to the next one. I want to see like, if you could go back in time, change anything about the game, would you do it? And if so, what would you change?
11: all <laughs> want We all want to go back in time so bad. I love this kind of question, but if I could go back in time and only change things about the game, there there have been decisions that we have made that are very big business decisions, right? And of course. Like, in regards to the design of the game, the way we design the game is is iterative. And an iterative design process is the kind of design process where we try an idea, we get feedback on it, and then we change it. So we have been consistently changing the game design uh, of Dwerve. And right now, when you play the demo, like, please give us feedback. Let us know what you think is working, what you think we should work on. And we are we are taking all that advice and constantly tweaking the game. So I don't think there's anything that, like, we missed in the game design that we would have changed now because we have already changed all those things. So the only things that I would change going back in time is really business decisions. There's a whole business aspect to indie game development that is is extremely complicated. Like for example,
8: this interview that we're doing
11: right now, right?
8: (laughs) So I guess what was your uh, most favorite part in the developmental process for Dwarf? My favorite process is exactly what I'm doing right now, which is building the levels.
11: Um, I would say that, like, my, the thing I'm most passionate about isn't programming or art; it's actually design. And Dwarf is one of those games where, like, you can tell that someone who loves design worked on it, right? Because it is a genre mashup, and we're trying to make it work, and that's difficult from a design perspective. Also, all these levels—they're all little puzzles. Like, if you, if you think about it, I have to make a—I have to make the environment. A little puzzle for the player to solve. The player has to find the choke points and notice things in the environment to use. So we can't, we can't like procedurally generate stuff like that. That has to be handcrafted, and you have to be really clever and experiment when you're designing levels like that. It's a difficult process for Dwerve because it's a strategy, strategy game. Sorry, I always mess up that word. Strategy. <laughs> right? Because it's a strategy game. I think anyone who loves strategy will love it, but we don't want to alienate people who don't want to think too much, right? So the difficulty for us is to make a game that rewards people for being clever and strategic, but also a game that is playable by people who don't want to think too much and think and... Give it some like casual
8: aspects to it.
11: Right, so for example, tower defense games are pretty niche, right? And by us adding story, and um, a main character we're making tower defense more mainstream and that's kind of what that's what kind of what we're trying to do for for tower defense is is have tower defense um be introduced to people who wouldn't normally play it and that's why we think a lot of people are going to get hooked by the story and within time they're going to learn to love tower defense
8: yeah i mean i love playing tower defense games but it was just so like black and white so i'm glad to see that you're kind of coming out with like a story main characters and like is there like a central hub area so there is a village that you will visit several times,
11: and that village will change over time. But the story takes place in a mountain. You're a dwarf, right? And the dwarves used to live in the mountain, and they discovered power stones. And power stones are, you could think of them as batteries. They're kind of like the magic in this game. And they created an entire society around this, and it's how you power the, the towers and turrets, right? but they dug so deep that they discovered that trolls live in the mountain and that and there was a war between the dwarves and the trolls and the trolls drove the dwarves out of the mountain and i don't know if you know any mythology about trolls but trolls are supposed to turn to stone in the sunlight which is why the dwarves are safe outside of the mountain i don't want to ruin too much of the story but you end up going back into the mountain and you discover how the trolls are now surviving in the sunlight and in regards to the story since we know that that's going to attract people to the de- to the tower defense aspect of it, we didn't want to neglect the story either. After we had a successful Kickstarter, we hired a writer, an artist, and a musician because we want this to be one of those indie games where- that had a professional touch in all aspects. We don't want to neglect an aspect of the game. This story is going to have several mysteries in it that you'll be able to try to figure out before they're revealed to you in the game, right? I also love stories that have mysteries that you can sort of theorize about, right? When you can figure out things yourself. well, ha- it'll be The story will be great for people who create theories about the lore and stuff like that. We'll leave a lot of clues that people can put together without making it super obvious for people who love story.
8: I mean, I could just tell so much from just this interview that you're the designer, very creative on everything that you're talking about, so I love it. Um, I guess just finally, to to end things, if you want to talk about uh, any, like, I I don't. I, sorry, I had to interrupt you because I
11: don't want you giving me um, credit as like the, the designer or whatever, right? I'm designing the levels right now, but my business partner is the one who came up with the um, the tower defense. His name is PJ Percy, and he's the one that came up with the tower defense um, RPG idea. Okay. Yeah. I
8: mean, but you're saying so you're designing the credit. levels.
11: Yeah, I just want—I just had to give him credit, man. If he hears this interview, he'd
8: be like, "Dude, what the heck? <laughs> you
11: got like, all the—you cr- got all the credit for that idea, but it was my
8: idea." You just gotta take it. Just take it all in. <laughs> so I guess if you want to just shout anything out, give us any last little tidbits about your game. Feel free.
11: So I think that everyone should go and play this demo. Like, like there's there are some indie games that you don't know what they're going to be like when uh, on release and this is one of those games where we want people to um, play this demo that's like it's like 45 minutes worth of gameplay you're going to know whether you like the game or not by the end of the demo right so we, we hope that there's no one that's wishlisting it that's surprised by the gameplay so please play the demo it's dwarf prologue on steam perfect awesome oh, oh one more thing one more thing this is me shouting out myself I started a YouTube channel where I teach pixel art. And that's helped us grow a fan base around this game because if people are fans of pixel art, they'll probably enjoy playing Dwerve. And that pixel uh, art channel is uh, Peter Milko or Pixel Pete. Perfect.
8: Awesome. Right. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate it.
0: Up next, we're going to join our writer and streamer, Taz TazTDevil3, who got to interview the 19 year old developer of Human Apocalypse, Faris Ahmed.
12: What game are you working on, and what do you do in the process? Uh, I'm currently working on
13: two games, actually. Uh, we kind of have this system of, of releasing a few games, a few free games, and then we're starting this system. It's the first time we're trying it. So, yeah, a couple of free games just to test out new ideas. We have lots of ideas, so we're always releasing uh, new games to test it out, see how it, people are going to react to it. And then once we get a nice reaction or ne- we know... What our uh, strong points are, we kind of take that that, that direction. For example, uh, we released uh, five uh, games before this, all of them free. Uh, one of them is adventure, two horror, one multiplayer, and one puzzle game. Uh, the adventure game got to the front page, and it was very well received. Uh, front page of Steam and was very well received, and uh, the other horror, one of the one of the two horror games was also very well received. So that's why we kind of took that direction of a mix between adventure and horror, and uh, that's Human Apocalypse. And yeah, I'm the one working in Human Apocalypse. Uh, My brother is currently working on another horror-free
12: game, uh, testing another new idea. Awesome, that's so cool. Um, So give us a small summary of Human Apocalypse. All right, so Human
13: Apocalypse is kind of a different twist than the normal zombie stuff. You know, every zombie game, uh, you get thrown into a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, shoot the zombies, kill the humans, go get food, loot that house, get water, uh, whatever. This game it's set in a post-apocalyptic world. So the zombie apocalypse has already happened, a cure has been found, all the zombies have been cured, they're now perfectly normal humans again, except they still look like zombies, they're still colored green. Uh, so yeah, it's an adventure game, uh, you play as one of those ex-zombies, you move to a new town, and is just exploring how life would be after the apocalypse as a zombie
12: i feel like it's very interesting because you know like you said you see a lot of post apocalypse genre in gaming uh, but i've never really seen a post post apocalypse what happens after we've kind of sort of fixed the world and do you think that you're inspired by like like games and uh other types of media shows and things like that
13: so um, this idea, I've had it for quite a long time. When I was a kid, I was obsessed with zombie movies. But they all they all end up with the same thing. Somehow the survivors end up on a rooftop, a helicopter comes from nowhere, saves them, a happy ending, the movie ends. But, like, what happens? <laughs> what happens after? You know, the virus is still there, the city is full of zombies, all of that. And I haven't found really any... any any tv show or any movie that covers that topic and i was like all right maybe i can tackle that one day that was that was way long long ago and then corona happened you know and you also can't help but wonder like corona was what about a year and a half two years ago and we're still wearing like i'm here sitting in front of you wearing a mask so you also can't help but wonder what's gonna happen after this ends and yeah so when i was in quarantine it kind of kicked back this this idea back into
12: gear you know and yeah, now now I'm working on it again. That's awesome. Uh, if you can go back uh, and begin again from scratch, uh, would you change anything? If so, uh, what would you change? Well, the game, uh, it's been in
13: development for, you might not believe this, it, but it's been in development for about two months. So uh, <laughs> yeah, not really. I've, it's, so far it's going pretty great. Uh, when I got the, the email from PAX that I was accepted into the PAX 10, uh, like before that it was very chill. I was just working on it in my free time whenever I feel like it. But then when I got that email and now I, have, I need to have a, a playable demo ready, uh, I kind of rushed. So all of that stuff uh, that you see in the game and the playable demo and everything, all of this was made in like one month. So yeah, uh, if I were
12: to go back, I wouldn't do that much differently. <laughs> That's crazy, two months and you're here at PAX. That's crazy. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it's- it's,
13: it was definitely a shock when I got that email. Uh, but yeah, also, uh, the style, the, how some of the, some of the mechanics of the game, was re- as I mentioned, I made five free games before. Uh, one of them, Adventure, one of them, Horror. So I kind of took some of those mechanics, uh, some of the assets, uh, the, the process I used to make the, the sprites and everything. So yeah, that definitely saved lots of time, and it makes the process way faster. That's awesome. Um, what has been your favorite part of the development process? Uh, probably the best part about the development process is seeing the finished product. Uh, when I'm when I'm testing the game, when I'm watching the trailer that I made. Uh, uh, also, stuff like watching uh, uh, the the translators, the community translators that I have. When I'm putting all you know, like a whole script translated, uh, listening to the lines the voice actors have. Uh, I uh, have recorded uh, watching other people play my game, like here at PAX,
12: that's definitely the best part. That's, yeah. That's awesome. Kind of an off script question. Uh, I see a lot of indie games, you know, they have uh, voice actors, they don't have voice actors. Uh, did you have? Did you hire people? Did you have like your friends voice act? What was the process in that?
13: So when I was making my first game, uh, my first kind of big game, the adventure one that I mentioned that hit the front uh, front page of Steam. I was just sitting on my couch one day and then I'm like, okay, what if I tweet? What if maybe maybe adding voice actors to this game since it's an adventure game it might be better. And then I just tweeted randomly, I'm thinking of adding voice actors to my game. Uh this is the link to my game. Would anyone what do you guys think of this idea? And that tweet uh, obviously it didn't go viral, but it kind of went viral in the in the voice acting community. And I got tons of additions. I didn't even have a script by then or a casting call by then but I got lots of people emailing me they're like yeah we're would be happy to help and yeah I had I got like like eight of them to help me with that adventure game and since then I've been adding voice acting in every single game it it just it takes the game to another level especially if it's if there's lots of uh, text and it it relies on narrative you know
12: for sure for sure I I love I do prefer uh, voice acted games because it allows me to like watch it as it's going as opposed to like you know reading some things you know people like their different stuff but I definitely prefer because I you know when I stream games I like start reading it out loud and then I start to yawn not because of the story but because I forget to breathe because I'm reading so much but so it's nice to have like voice acting I was able to play the demo and the voice acting was solid it was all like like for for what the demo had it was solid it was great Um, and uh, last question Uh, is there anything else you want us to know about your game? Uh, so
13: not really the game, uh, it's I'm, I'm currently working on it. I have school starting soon. I'm 19, by the way, uh, my brother is 18, so we have to balance school with it. But we're aiming for uh release in late, uh, I mean, early 2022, uh, like, yeah. And that's, that's pretty much it. I'm working on it. Just got to balance school. <laughs> for sure. For
12: sure. That's awesome.
0: Taz also got to spend some time with Matthew White of Whitehorn Games to talk about their most recent game, Lake.
12: All right, Matt, what game uh, for Whitehorn Games? What is the latest game to come out for you guys?
14: Yeah, that'd be Lake. It came out September 1st. Currently, it's a PC via Steam and the Epic Games Store, as well as an Xbox exclusive
12: for the whole family of consoles. For sure. And for Whitehorn Games in general, uh, what is your position?
14: Yeah, so we're a publisher. We uh, currently represent about 29 intellectual properties in every country in the world and on every major platform. Uh, We're basically an aggregator of cozy, approachable experiences. Doesn't necessarily mean that they have to fit that aesthetic, but... We really use three brand pillars when we uh, look at games to sign. We want them to be approachable, by which we mean that anybody, toddler to grandma, no gaming experience to hardcore gamer can pick it up and play it instantly. We say that they're bite-sized, meaning that in the amount of time it takes you to sit down and have a cup of tea, maybe an hour, you know, you have a whole experience in that amount of time and then we say that they're stress-free. By that, we don't necessarily mean that they're not difficult per se, but rather that we don't lock things away from you in the game if you can't get good, so to speak. So you're not gonna die and have to restart the whole game, you know, waste your hour, we're not gonna hide content from you if you're not twitchy enough. So that's those three things make uh, make up what we sign, and by adhering to those, we kind of have carved out a really sort of unique type of game,
12: I think. That's awesome. That's a lot. That's a lot of good stuff. I appreciate that. <laughs> I say it a lot. So yeah, very, very you you got it. In. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, can you give me a small summary of Lake?
14: hmm Yeah, so Lake is a narrative-driven adventure game. You're a 40-something woman living in a major city in the 1980s working on a precursor to spreadsheet software. Uh, way back when, before this was common. Um, And so she has an opportunity to fill in for her father as a temp at the tiny mail office in her hometown in order to let him finally take a vacation. She takes that opportunity, being a good daughter, gets some time to also decompress in the forest from a difficult job. You live with Meredith for 14 days, uh, each day is sort of an episode, so to speak, um, and that that throughout, you sort of learn about the town and how it's changed in the 20-some 20, since, 20 some years since you've been there, as well as sort of how you've changed, and it's very much a self-discovery kind of journey. That You do get to choose what Meredith does. Time in the game progresses based on your actions, not based on actual time, so it can be as fast or as slow as an experience as you want it to be.
12: Uh, Do you know that the game has, uh, from what it sounds like, a lot of different decisions Mm -hmm. can be made? Does it add to the replay value? Go through two weeks, I believe, and then you can just, oh, wow, I want to do this instead.
14: Sure. So I think this is the kind of game that I would recommend, sort of like what David Cage says, maybe not quite so oblique. I mean, he says, don't play my games twice. I don't, that's not what I would say here. I think you need to play Lake once, play it as you like it, maybe put it down for a couple of weeks and visit again. So... There are different endings, there's tons of choices to make. What happens with Meredith is entirely left up to the player. If you are a sort of more introverted person where someone asks you out for drinks one night and you're like, you know, I really would honestly rather stay at home and read. We have a whole series of fully narrated books and TV series and things that Meredith can chill out with. You can be as much of a social butterfly as you like going through and learning about all the characters. The content of the game, the vignettes, the people, and the, the characters are really what the value is here. A lot of reviewers tend to, you know, they see the M rating, which is just because of alcohol mostly. Uh, They see the M rating and they think, like, oh, it's going to have a dark twist kind of thing. And it it really, it does not. You'll be very, very disappointed. Um, You know, someone at the booth the other day said, life is strange without the strange. You know, um, (laughs) one reviewer said... uh, uh, Death Stranding without the bullshit, which I thought was interesting, but that very much is the kind of thing we're looking at here. We want it to be relaxing and beautiful and and, and, and and slow above all else. We as a company try to position ourselves as like, you know, queer pastoral escapism is really big in all of our titles. So, you know, if like getting two characters to smooch and run away to the country is appealing to you, you're going to find that in virtually every <laughs> game we sell.
12: Okay. Awesome, awesome, and uh, you sounds like you're very uh, close with all the developers uh, of uh, White Thorn Games. Do you happen to know what the inspiration was behind the development process?
14: Oh, for Lake, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, actually, it's ironic. It's literally just a postcard they saw that had this car driving in the Pacific Northwest next to this beautiful kind of. It might have been Puget Sound, actually. Um, And so the developers, uh, one of the team members, Dylan, actually lived in Oregon for some time. I think for school. And so that was sort of the inspiration they did take numerous reference trips i think they were just struck by the beauty of the verticality of the pacific northwest you know i mean i'm certainly not from here but it's hard not to appreciate it you land and you you know immediately as you're driving on the highway you have rain here in the background and there's this really striking interplay of water and rock and tree and we really tried to capture that in lakes there's a photo mode in there and it's 1980s photo mode, meaning you have no idea what the picture you just took looks like until you go to the Photoshop and develop it. Oh, okay. And so there's a lot of that in the game that's, I think, really important. It's, it's really about placemaking, and, and that, that's hugely the inspiration there. I think also Jos, the head writer, is the team from the Netherlands, he's very much a, a movie buff, so there's a lot of movie content in here. It's written very much like a movie, um, and it, it very much plays that way.
12: That's awesome. Uh, do you happen to know also if the developer to go back? It uh, sounds like you know they said, uh, "I don't want people playing my games twice." Things like that. Um. Do you know if they were to do Lake Over again from scratch? Would they change anything? Would they add anything? Would they do something different?
14: Yeah, certainly. Um, this is a very pretty game, so I think one of the things that we're all, you know, not struggling with, but one of the things that's going to present a challenge in the future here. Currently, this game's an Xbox exclusive. Um, not not to flatter Xbox, but the but the Xbox consoles are very powerful. Like they're they're very very powerful. The Series X is comparable to most gaming PCs that aren't insane, um, and so other platforms like Nintendo Switch, mobile, uh, are going to currently have a very difficult time with this game, simply because of the sheer amount of, like, shadow play, light cones, like, ray tracing. That is gonna be touchy. So... Maybe the art style could have adjusted slightly so we could pass that, but hard to say. Uh, Certainly, we can hook you up with the developers on like a Zoom-type situation. We normally do want to bring developers here, but, uh, you know, of the games you see here across the board, we have teams from the United Kingdom, Chile, Netherlands, and Canada, and unfortunately 100% of those countries have marked the United States as a non-safe travel zone currently. Uh, So, unfortunately, we won't be able to bring any of our teams. We normally do meet the dev hours at these things, but happy to hook you
12: guys up. What has been, uh, again, another kind of development question, but if you happen to know, um, what is the favorite part of the development process for Lake? Oh, you know, uh,
14: for me, anyway, the thing that I always find charming are, like, in-development bugs. I know reviewers, reviewers generally, like, they see a pixel off, and they're like, ah, and, you know, so they're harder on bugs than developers are. I think there's so many charming things that have happened during development that are just, like... You know, it's, it's ultimately a very simple mechanical game. You're really not mechanically doing anything that's too terribly complex. So there's not a lot of opportunity for, like, really game-breaking logic bugs or anything. You know, just occasionally a van goes flying off into the universe or, you know, Meredith clips through a wall or something just bizarre happens. And those moments are always really funny in the development process. These are very decompressing. You know, it's stressful to make games. You have a lot of pressure on you. You know, there's, there's definitely a lot of pressure to perform a certain way and to run at a certain frame rate and so forth. So occasionally when something just truly goofy happens in the dev process, that can be very uh, decompressing.
12: That, yeah, I can't imagine in a stressful process, even like probably time crunches and things like that, you could, yeah, you, you experience your van like just fly up and you're yeah. like, I mean, oh I- shoot. But at the same time, you're like, it kind of, it kind of breaks you out a little bit it's from... It's a feature. Yeah. Hey, uh- <laughs> um, is there anything else uh, you want us to know about Lake? I know just recently it came out fresh off the you know fresh on steam sure, i believe yeah, yeah. steam and yeah. xbox steam, he said xbox and the epic game Store. yeah yeah is there anything else that we should know about or if we can tell the listeners about it
14: yeah i mean i just invite you to go check it out uh, there's a demo available it covers a few days you can sort of see if this is something that's up your alley uh certainly there's lots of wonderful content creators that we've partnered with they've done let's plays and things to give you a little bit of a taste very much what we're offering here is something that's decompressing relaxing quieting if, if you miss the idea of a game as a true stress buster, just completely let yourself sink into the couch and deflate, this is something I think you'll really enjoy. Awesome. That
12: sounds amazing.
0: We're going to head back to Bro2Zack, who got to interview Scott Smith, the developer of Spirit of Midnight.
8: So Scott, what is the name of the game you're working on? And what is your uh, what is your job within the game?
15: Sure. So I'm working on Spirit of Midnight. And my job is, is most of the roles, actually. So I, I do all the animation, design, graphics, and animation. Well, I said animation. Um, and uh, beyond me, we have a really great sound designer and composer. Uh, and we got some help with some UI uh, in some places as well. But the bulk of it is, is me, so I'm mostly a single dev. That's really cool. That's a lot of work.
8: And if you just want to give us a small summary of your game.
15: Sure. So it, um, the premise of the game is you are a house cat and one evening you encounter a spirit monster uh, which lets you actually leave the house for the first time Um, and as you wander the outside uh, you're both kind of just being a cat outside doing cat-like things but in addition you're kind of unraveling a mystery around a hidden town of animals and their relationship with the spirit and what's gone wrong something like the spirit should never have been in your house and uh, uh, it's just an adventure
8: awesome
15: I love. That. I mean, you're going to get a lot of people with cats, for sure. Yeah.
8: It's going to be a, a big blanket for people. <laughs> cool. And then
15: and then, what would you say inspired you the most about this game? Uh, what games inspired yeah. me? Oh, yeah. So, or anything,
8: honestly. Sure.
15: Um, I always wanted to make a point-and-click adventure game after growing up with LucasArts games. So things like Monkey Island, The Dig, uh, Day of the Tentacle. Um, and I realized uh, back around when Broken Age was coming back up, that um, there was still a market for that, and I, I really wish there were more of those games. Um, and in addition, when I was playing really big, heavy open-world games myself, I wanted kind of a chill game to like fall back onto uh, to kind of relax. So I didn't always have to be doing the heavy mental, mental lifting or, or, you know, dexterity uh, in those bigger games. So uh, that kind of led me to want to make uh, an adventure game myself. Uh, as well as I've always loved cats, I figured a cat could be a great Protagonist or hero of the game, uh, and I ran with that, and, and, and here we are. Awesome, I love that. I've, I've done a lot of like just open
8: world point and click adventures, so it's really cool to see that you're kind of adding more of a cozy aspect to it. That's really cool. And my favorite question to always ask is if you could go back, kind of redo the entire game just from scratch, or maybe like change certain things,
15: um, would you do it, and if so, why? Um. I don't know that I've changed much. Um, We did actually start in a different place. We had a kind of a 3D game with real normal puzzles, like um, as opposed to situational puzzles, which you'd find more in um, in a true adventure game like we have. Um, uh, I think we ended up with something that we can produce. uh, uh, to the level of fidelity that we like, uh, using the skill sets of the team. And it's going over great. People say they love the art style. Uh, It attracts them like we wanted wanted it to and um, it's just enjoyable to see. Awesome. Well, I guess we can go next
8: with, uh, what was your favorite like, part in developing the game? Like, what was the, what was the most fun that
15: you had in the developmental process? I'd say the best fun is coming up with the characters and having them do the funny things that make people laugh. So we wanted the right kind of balance of humor. We don't want it to be too much in your face where it gets kind of hokey. We want, we want it to always be surprising. And, and um, even in terms of an adventure game, uh, we wanted it to be a little bit more approachable. You know, it's controller based. It's not really point and clicky, um, and uh, the you know you're never going to get stuck. Like we, going back to like games like Grim Fandango, you could be hunting for hours, walking really slow through big worlds, really cool to look at. Um, but playing those games today, um, sometimes feel like oh, I wish it would go a little faster, or I could get to the next big fun thing. Um, so we're always thinking about that, and uh, yeah. I
8: love it. I mean, I, I, that would probably be my favorite thing, just to, yeah. <laughs> just to go through and like kind of add all your personal touches on like characters and just like little like niche things. It'd be really cool, I guess. And then for the final question, if you want to shout anything out, um, if you want to tell us anything more about your game, if you got like a Discord or YouTube channel, anything like that, feel free to let us know.
15: Yeah. So most of the updates about the game have been on Twitter so far, but we're really ramping up our Facebook and Instagram. Uh, also the steam page is live and the wish list is live. Uh, you can check that out up, for, uh, check that out for details. Uh, we also have a plush coming soon. That'll be out within a month. Uh, we'll post that there as well. Um, and we've got a lot of requests for t-shirts. So we'll probably be making those as well. Awesome. Well, I'm glad I had just got, yeah.
8: and I'm going to have to check out the plush. I think I saw it on the wall over oh, there. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs>
0: We're going to take another break, but we have more interviews for you to look forward to from our experience at PAX West 2021. So stay tuned, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Game Raven Review Podcast. Next up on our list of incredible indies we got to feature this year at PAX West 2021, Snail Yo! Let's join Sarah as she interviews solo developer John Gross and 3D artist Susie Tang. What game are you working on and what do you do?
16: Uh, I'm a game dev, and I basically created my first iOS and Android app. I made the 3D models, uh, the textures, the audio, the animations, and coded everything in Unity. Um, And now we're making, I hired a 3D artist and designer, Susan Tang, uh, and she made even better 3D models and textures. And we're working together on a console version of our game, Mega Snellio Adventure.
17: Can you
10: give us a small summary of your game?
16: It's an open world 3D platformer, where you collect fruit and barter with this small group of super cute uh, runpos, we call them. They're these little cute, um, little orb headed um, people and you give them the fruit and they unlock areas in this big world. There's uh, several different biomes in this huge world. It's gonna have a grass uh, biome, a water biome, a desert biome, volcano, and a toxic biome. It's, It's still in development, so it might get even bigger than that.
10: Awesome. What would you say inspired your game the most?
16: We started, uh, I started this in 2019, and I started it uh, as an inspiration to make peaceful, non-violent games because I wanted to inspire players to get a dopamine rush off of being chill and and seeing like colorful, really lush, beautiful environments. and that kind of grew into this big 3d platformer world where we have it now mega snailio adventure
10: awesome all right the fun questions if you could go back and begin again from scratch would you change anything and if so what would you change
16: i don't think i would really change anything at this point because my philosophy is that this project developed organically and i don't know how it would have evolved otherwise if it hadn't taken on the, the many different forms and facets that it had in its early development to now. Um, also, I really love the learning process uh, and all of the vicissitudes, the failures, the successes that come with it, so I wouldn't want to change anything.
10: And what has been your favorite part of your development process?
16: Um, I would say the learning, but now that we've exhibited at Play NYC in Manhattan this July, past July 2021, and now we're at PAX West, it's the people. I love the gaming community. I love gaming audiences and gamers. I never felt that uh, I belonged in such a welcoming community. I don't know if it's what I bring to the table and then that's what I get back, but I've really just loved like walking through these ex- exhibition halls and seeing how people engage and they're so friendly and curious.
10: And is there anything else you want us to know about your game or what you do?
16: Yeah, right now we've been working on the game. It's a, um, a very small demo of the game. And we really want public support. So if you could go to bizenio.com, that's B-E-Z-E-N-Y-O.com. All of our social media links are there. And if you can follow and share us on any of the f- big social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Discord, TikTok, it would go a long way because we're looking to find publishers or investors to, to fund this project, to get it on a legitimate console system.
17: Uh, right now, I'm currently working on Snaleo, um, and I'm a th- freelance 3D artist by trade. Uh, and I'm just helping John update some of the assets from the mobile game to make a more PC console-like updated uh, high-fidelity version. High-res version, sorry. What would you say inspired your work the most? Uh, well, John's character, Snellio, as soon as I saw it, I immediately knew there was something special. Um, I loved how cute it was. My whole like spiel, I guess, my whole style is to do something really cute, kawaii, colorful. Um, so as soon as I saw it, I knew it would be a great fit. Uh, a lot of my inspiration came from Animal Crossing and from old N64 like 3D platformers. So that was kind of the style we're trying to emulate. What has been your favorite part of the process so far? Uh, Let's see. Um, Well, being just a two person team is really interesting because I kind of wear a lot of hats. I'm not just the 3D artist, but I also do the concept art. I prototype everything. I'm also the technical artist. I get everything into Unity, get it hooked up, put particle effects on it. Um, and so I think that's for me the best part because I really enjoy the whole process from start to finish. I don't really like passing my work off <laughs> to other people. Um, so and I really am thankful to John for you know trusting me with all of that. So yeah, is there anything else that you want us to know about your game? Uh, that we um, are trying to make like a PC console version of it and update it. Uh, for people, so if you really like the style, if you're really about the message where, you know, we just want to build an inclusive community and make wholesome games, to please uh,
0: follow us and like us on our social media at bizenyo Up next, we have Republic of Jungle. Taz had the opportunity to interview Kaswa Rami, their co-founder and co-producer.
12: Tell me what game you're working on and what is your part in the development process?
5: Uh, sure, uh, so our game is Republic of Jungle. Uh, I am one of the co-founders and co-creators of the game, and I'm mostly focused on uh, doing programming and game design. Can you give me a small summary of your game? Sure, uh, so it's a five to ten player social deduction party game. Uh, it's a crossover between Jackbox party packs and uh, classic social deduction games like uh, Werewolf Mafia, Resistance, Secret Hitler, those type of games. and. Uh, uh, same as Jackbox games, uh, you uh, one player as the host player only needs one copy of the game for the whole group, and they can run it either if they're playing in person, they can run it on a TV, and then everyone joins using their phones, or if they're playing remotely, they can just uh, share their screen on a video call or a Zo- or, a, or a voice call on Zoom or, or Discord. Yeah.
12: Awesome. That's a that's that's great. Uh, what would you say? I know you kind of listed off some games of uh, what the game is kind of like, uh, but what would you say inspired you the game? Uh,
5: inspired your game the most? Sure. Uh, it's hard to only name one game. I think it's two games that inspired us the most. Uh, the first one uh, is a tabletop game called Resistance Avalon. Uh, the basic mechanics of the game uh, are inspired by Resistance Avalon. Uh, We tried to add uh, uh, newer mechanics and features that were not possible in a physical tabletop platform to that game and uh, improve upon the game design for that game because uh, the digital platform enabled us to do so many things. The second game that inspired us was uh, uh, Jackbox Body Packs and uh, so like we used to play a lot of uh, hardcore social deduction and tabletop games with our friends and at some point someone uh, introduced uh, Jackbox party packs to our group and uh, since it was super convenient and accessible to like run and play at some point we saw that people are always asking to play jackbox no one wanted to play those <laughs> hardcore games anymore and that was when muin uh, my business partner and i uh, were like what if we bring our favorite uh, like more midcore to hardcore games to this platform and that was like w- uh, when this happened we decided to work on the prototype of Republic of Jungle and after a while we see a lot of potential and we decided to quit our full-time jobs and work on this. (laughs) That's awesome. I love hearing stories of people that are just
12: like, I want this game this game doesn't exist, so we're just going to make it. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. And especially as convenient as something like Jackbox or something you can play virtually and you don't even have to be necessarily in the same room, but you can. But you can play it over a Discord call and a Zoom call, like you mentioned. Uh, I do love he- like hearing stuff, especially with like a pandemic going on. Yeah. You know, it sucks, but you can still enjoy games with your friends, and that's, uh, that's awesome. Um, if you can go back and begin again from scratch, uh, would you change anything and if, you, if so,
5: what would you change? Uh, about the game, about Republic of Jungle? Uh, let me see, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> uh, so we, like, one thing that we had a hard time with was playtesting. And uh, I would have started playtesting the features we wanted to add to the game as soon as, as early as possible. Like uh, at the uh, initially when we started working on this game we were like coding everything, making the digital version of it, and then we started playtesting and we had to throw a lot of things out oh. because we didn't know it's not gonna be fun, right? Until we playtested them. But we had the opportunity to like playtest them uh, using like a physical paper prototype without even like coding and like making sure everything works online because there's a lot of networking on the back end. Uh, so, one thing I would have changed is that we, would have, we should have started the playtesting process much earlier. than, uh, like, uh, Much earlier and much more uh, like non-digital, <laughs> As, if that makes sense.
12: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and I forgot to ask, uh, how long have you been developing this game?
5: Uh, so, we've been developing this game for a year and a half. Uh, we quitted our jobs in April uh, 2020. Uh, but before that, we've been prototyping different ideas as a, as a hobby uh, in our free time for the, for like maybe two and a half years before that. But the the actual thing, the the main process started like a year and a half ago. And how many people are on the team? Uh, right now, the. The main team has five people, but we have some contractors that are helping with like audio, music, voice acting, those kind of things, yeah. Okay, cool. So you haven't like really had a problem with like outsourcing. Okay, that's awesome. Love that. Um, what's been your favorite part of the development process? Uh, the favorite part about development process are the brainstorm sessions, about uh, mostly about game design. When we sit down, talk about different uh, features and mechanics we want to add to the game. And I always love that brainstorm sessions. Like you have a small idea and at the, like after talking about it for like half an hour to an hour with other people and like uh, hitting off the idea from each other and like doing the brainstorm, it becomes something really good. And then you get to play test it and see if it's working. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And kind of like an
12: off script question. I'm curious, what inspired the theme of Republic of Jungle? Uh, in terms of the animal usage, the type of animals? Like what, what, what inspired that? Who came up with like, let's do it in kind of like, kind of like a Zootopia kind of way, but like, how did that go down? Uh, so
5: uh, we wanted to do a political satire game uh, and uh, we felt like the, the, the theme was, especially at the time that we were developing this game, was kind of depressing for people. And uh, it was too serious. It wasn't that funny as, as funny as we, we wanted it to be. And then my business partner Moin came up with this idea that what if we make everything about animals? This in an alternate universe, and uh, it's a it's a tradition of having uh, animals in political cartoons in in uh, in, uh, in Europe and also in the U.S. And uh, we saw yeah, there's a lot of potential there. Like uh, we we were looking at some uh, New Yorker uh, editorial cartoons and like also other mag- magazines and uh, also some. Uh, online cartoons and we saw that uh, the animals are used a lot in in uh, in political satire uh, cartoons and uh, so we also talked to our artists and we decided to go with this and looks like it's working people like it and uh even though it's like uh, sometimes it's, it gets political but because it's all about animals and it's an alternate universe everyone's happy with it right there's some things to
12: say about what's going on yeah. but you know it takes the tension off everyone have a good time exactly. it's funny okay that's awesome love that Um, And then last question, is there anything else you want us to know about your game?
5: Uh, Sure, so uh, we're on Kickstarter right now. Uh, We have a free web demo during our Kickstarter. It's going to be a limited time uh, free web demo. Uh, Right after Kickstarter, uh, we're going to send all our backers uh, a key to uh, to our closed beta, a Steam key to our closed beta, which we're going to push updates to as we develop the game and before the launch of the final game, which is uh, we're aiming for Spring 22. Uh, So yeah, if you like the idea, uh, go on our Kickstarter. You can try our free web demo, and then if you like the demo, you can also consider backing us and supporting us.
0: Taz also had the opportunity to interview Athene, who is the lead producer and environmental artist of the upcoming multiplayer game Squish. Hi
12: Athene. Uh, What game are you working on?
0: I am working on Squish.
18: It is kind of like Tetris and Smash combined. So the premise of this game is that the Skelegoos are throwing a rave and they're partying so hard that the mausoleum is starting to crumble. So in this game, what you want to do is you want to manipulate the terrain. So in this case, push blocks in order to squish other players and be the last Skelegoose standing.
12: That sounds awesome. Tetris and Smash, awesome. Um, And what do you do in the process?
18: Yeah, so I'm actually the lead producer and also the lead environment artist of the game.
12: Awesome, awesome. Uh, And I forgot to ask, what is the name of the development studio?
18: Yeah, so we're called Grave Rave Games. We're a pretty new indie studio.
12: Awesome. Um, What would you say inspired your game the most?
18: Right, so um, this actually started off as a student project back in 2019. Um, from UC Santa Cruz in California, and one of the original developers had was playing a level in Little Big Planet, and they got the inspiration to like manipulate terrain in order to like make a game and like be really cool.
12: Okay, okay. Um, if you can go back and begin again from scratch, I know you said you're kind of part of the of uh, uh, the art stuff. Um, if you can go back and change how it looks or how it feels, uh, what would you change?
18: Oh, that's a really <laughs> tough question actually, because like. I think honestly like I really like the aesthetic of our game like it's like cute and spooky so it's like kind of spoofy and like the rave and neon and EDM I honestly wouldn't change that much I mean like if we had like a million dollars and like extra you know time like way back in the day like something that was like a really early concept was having different characters so our really early concepts, we have, like, a retro 80s rad. We also had like, a cutie Cthulhu. And then we also had skelgo which is uh, the character that we settled on. So, like, I mean, like, yeah, if we had a million dollars and a bunch of time, which, I mean, like, which developer studio doesn't, like, I would probably try to implement different characters.
12: Okay, awesome. But for, for what you had and the resources you had, you feel like you kind of nailed the, the, the vision you had for it?
18: Yeah, definitely, I would say so. I mean, again, like, with you know, planning and making sure we don't get out of scope and everything. I think what we have is like really solid and all of our artists on the team are incredibly talented and really happy with how it turned out. It just, it looks incredible.
12: Good, good. That's awesome. Uh, What has been your favorite part of the development process?
18: Oh, you're asking really good questions. Honestly, I would say just like talking with my team and like being a part of something that's super cool. Like all of us were like pretty like close knit as a team. Like all of us were like standing on the same ground. No one's looking down at each other. We're like really open communication, really like we're just kind of like, let's make the best thing that we can. And like, honestly, just like sitting with them and like brainstorming and having like wild ass ideas, like no idea is a bad idea. We're like, okay, like maybe this wasn't what we weren't originally imagining, but like, Let's play this out. Like, what does it look like? Let's, like, brainstorm on the on the whiteboard. Like, let's see how it goes. And some of our best ideas have come from that.
12: Awesome. And I forgot to ask, uh, how many people are on the team?
18: Right. So we started off with 10 back when it was a student project because, you know, we got to pass and graduate. Um, but right now we have about five people on the team.
12: Wow. I was expecting that you'd say, like, oh, now we have, like, 50 people. But it went down by half. Yeah, but you feel like it's pretty... It's, you, you mean you just said the, the, your favorite part was just kind of collaborating and like all that teamwork, do you feel like it's, I mean at this point in the stage of the process you feel like it's like better with a small amount of people or like a large amount of people like, I mean on uh, your point of view, what do you feel like that's, what that's like?
18: Right, I wouldn't say, okay, no actually I can't say that I, would I wouldn't say it's worse in like a bad way, I would say like we have less resources. So in that very specific aspect, it sucks that we don't have enough like people power. But other than that, I wouldn't say it's like necessarily worse or bad. I think with both sizes of the team, like we were really open with each other. And again, like we just wanted to make the best game possible.
12: Sure. Sure. And I mean, shoot, you're here at PAX, you know, and that's awesome with five people. That's amazing. And how many uh, you I think you listed off a couple. So how many games have your team developed?
18: Right. Uh, This is actually our very first game. Yeah, so we're with PM Studios and they publish other games, but specifically for Grave Rape games, this is our first game.
12: That's awesome. That's that's amazing, actually. (laughs) Um, And then, so kind of wrapping up the question, uh, is there anything else you want us to know about your game?
18: Um, Well, it's coming out early 2022 uh, on PC and Switch, so you can find us on Steam. You can actually uh, search up Squish and wishlist it right now. Uh, we will have both local and online multiplayer, so look out for that. And um, thank you for checking out our game. Thank you for spending time and talking to me. Like, we're just so happy to put this out and, like, happy people play this. And everyone who's come by and, like, played our game, they just, they want more.
12: For sure. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Yeah,
0: thank you. Let's head on back to Sam, who got to interview Brian Swan, the co-creator of The Great Gaius.
1: All right, so let's start off with something easy.
4: Um, your name and the name of the game. Uh, my name is Brian Swan. Uh, this is called The Great Gaius, and we released it back in 2018 on Steam. And what do you do for the company? I'm part creator. So it's me and my friend, Matt Pepalardo. Uh, he was my dungeon master for our Dungeons & Dragons campaign. And he started making this by himself as a hobby, just to show the Dungeons & Dragons crew Uh, just like I was like, oh, look, it's our campaign on a video game. And I came over one day to play it a little bit, and I was like, you know what, this is getting pretty good. How about I help you? We throw some money at it and try and release it commercially. And then seven years later, (laughs) we got the game. (laughs) All right. What would you say inspired you all the most? Uh, Dungeon & Dragons, definitely. Um, For this game, a heavy inspiration was Final Fantasy VI. That's my personal favorite Final Fantasy and we tried adding a lot of elements, especially like a main, a big cast like Final Fantasy VI. We have 17 playable characters in The Great Gaius. All of them have their own unique class, skills, and side stories you can do uh, throughout the game. Um,
1: And you said it took about seven years altogether. If you could go back and change anything,
4: what would you change, if anything? Uh, marketing. Uh, we, have no, we have no experience with anything, uh, but a lot of that time for the seven years was learning how to make a game. Um, but we, didn't, we underestimated how important marketing was. Uh, we're not very good with social media, and uh, we're just, we go to conventions trying to get the name out. Other development process, what has been your favorite part so far? Um, I mean working with my friends who I've you know, we've been friends for decades and uh, it's great working with him um, Coming up with new stories and sometimes we'll just take a day to spitball ideas of lore and building lore around the universe we created Uh, That's really fun for me. Um, I Just love every aspect of working on video games, and I hope one day that I can make it my full-time job Is there anything else you like our audience to know about the game? Um, well, you can find it on Steam. It's $20. Uh, I, it's over 100 hours to beat the game, so it's very meaty. Uh, we're working on the sequel right now. It's called Yallerhorn, and that Steam page is up also. It's been in development about, for about three years. And uh, yeah, check us out.
0: We have made it to our last interview, and it is with bro Tuzak who had the opportunity to talk to Anke, who is a programmer working on The Wild at Heart.
8: So what is the game you're working on and uh, what do you do within the game?
19: Yeah, the game I'm working on is The Wild at Heart uh, and I am uh, one of the programmers on the game. If you could just give us like a quick summary of the game. Sure, so the game is a, is a story focused uh, adventure game. Uh, you start out as a 12 uh, year old Wake uh, who makes a plan with his uh, best friend neighbor Kirby to run away from home. And uh, they set off on their plan, but being that they're just kids, they get lost pretty quickly. Uh, but soon after, they are met with some magical creature of the wood called Spratlings. And the Spratlings pull them further into the woods where they find uh, like an order of people who have been there for you know, who knows how long. And uh, they find that there's another story unraveling there, that a dark mysterious forest is kind of leaking out of the woods, and the kids take it upon themselves to, ha- to help solve that problem. I love that. That sounds awesome. Is there anything that uh, inspired you heavily when creating the game? Yeah, so there's, I mean, all sorts of inspirations from all different types. I mean, if you, if you look at the art, you know, you can see a little, like, where the wild things are. I mean, I don't want to speak for our artist Justin, but I know he said things like um, the Cartoon Saloon. Uh, just a lot of childhood stuff that he grew up with. Mechanics-wise, uh, it's pretty heavily inspired by Pikmin. You have your Spritlings, that's oh, right. sorry. You have your Spritelings, and uh, you throw them around the world. They're your conduits to the world. You can break down stuff, build up stuff. And, yeah, and the story is kind of based on the, the writer and the um, artist's childhood. Just kind of being a child having to deal with like you know real problems that we don't expect kids to actually deal with that's kind of our main inspirations that sounds like some great games to live up to i love it and i guess if if you could go back like change anything like revamp the game would you do it and if so would you change yeah definitely i mean we're really happy with kind of like how it turned out in the whole i think personally as as one of the programmers there's some like internal systems i would like to have changed uh just kind of done a different way knowing everything we know now like if i could go back in time from what i know now like this is exactly what the game's gonna be just focus on this and do it this way and i think that would help out a lot just like more time that you could have spent on just what you wanted instead of having to figure it out all the way yeah definitely there was like a lot of cut content uh we had a kind of um our eyes were bigger than our stomach so to speak and uh, we had to cut a lot and so if we knew ahead of time like oh this is going to get cut we could spend more time on, you know, the stuff that made it in and kind of really polish it up and tighten it up a lot more. And what's been your favorite developmental process in the game? Favorite developmental process, I mean, r- really like the, the feedback of like getting the Spratlings to play well, like how they feel with all the animations, sounds and all the effects, and just that loop of like see, putting it in front of people and seeing like how they respond to that has been really rewarding. Awesome. That sounds, it sounds like the game's gonna be a huge success. Thank you so I much. think, uh, you
8: know, if there's any shout-outs you want to give out or anything else you want to tell us about the game, I'd, I'd love to hear it.
19: Totally, yeah. I just want to shout-out the team. we got Chris Sumsky, another programmer, project manager. we got artist, uh, Justin Baldwin, an animator. And then our writer, Alex. Alex and Cade. So just shout-out the, the Wild at Heart. Um, we're out now on PC and Xbox. You can find us through Game Pass. And then later this year, we'll be on Switch and PlayStation. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. And that's it, folks. Like I said... PAX was very different this year. It was super scaled down, but there were so many amazing indies. And if you want to learn more about any of the indies that we featured here on our podcast, please visit our website at gameravenreview.com. Thank you for tuning in. To the Game Raven Review podcast, I have been Puppet, and you can find me on all the socials at PuppetMasterN. That's e Puppet n You can find Sam on Twitter at Sam Said it, D-F-W. bro Brotuzak, Sarah, and Taz are all three on Twitter and Twitch at bro Tuzak, Brotuzak. B R O T U Z A K. At Sarah Sweetbee, that's Sarah, sweet as in honey, bee as in the little insect, and Taz T Devil 3. And as always, you can find us on social media platforms at GameRavenReview, and don't forget to join our Discord at GameravenReview.com. Have a fantastic week, and until next time. Game Raven, are you game? Game Raven, game, game Raven, are you game?